1: Talk about beer and the brewing industry and have a conversation with the people who make the industry what it is and see what we can learn from them as we do. This week, that description could not be any more apt as I have a very personal conversation with Dr. Chuck Hahn. Chuck is no stranger to our listeners and has graced this podcast a number of times over the decade plus we have been recording it. However, late last year, I received an email from Chuck saying that he had retired from Lyon. There was no fuss and no fanfare. And I was told by contacts at Lyon that that was just the way that Chuck wanted it. Lion had made quite a celebration of Chuck's 50 years of brewing anniversary in 2021, but his retirement was a very quiet affair. I wanted to have one more chat with Chuck on the podcast. I don't want to say that it's the last. I'm hoping that we can lure him back from time to time, because there have been few larger influences over the Australian brewing scene or more passionate ambassadors for beer than Chuck. It's quite a personal conversation that I have with Chuck, one that I could easily have had at the bar over a beer. I hope you enjoy it and find Chuck's insights and reminiscences as interesting as always. Chakan, welcome to Beer is a Conversation.
0: Thank you, Matt. Good to talk to you again.
1: I've lost track of how many times we've spoken. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm hoping that this won't be the last time, although we are talking post official retirement uh, after your time with Lion.
0: Yes, no, that's that's an amazing thing.
1: The first thing I wanted to say is that you know last year there was a lot of fanfare around your 50 years of brewing, um, much delayed fanfare, of course, because of COVID and border closures, but you finally got to celebrate and uh, have, have your 50 years in the industry marked. But your retirement seems to have come very, very quietly, or your, your official retirement, it seems to have come very, very quietly. Yes.
0: No, we I sort of look back at that 50-year uh, celebration as... That was back in December as a, as a big event, almost like a retirement party. And then I've just been working out uh, how to retire uh, for the, the rest of the, the months of uh, 2022 almost, you know, taking that long to decide how much do I want to retire, how much do I want to pull back, but still keep my hand a little bit in the business. What prompted the retirement? I mean, that might be a silly question <laughs>
1: in, in some ways, but you, you, you still have a real passion for, for, for brewing.
0: Man, I think just old age, you know. (laughs) (laughs) I started started brewing, what, you know, 51 years ago, back in 1971. And uh, I'm 76 years old now, you know, and I've got to kind of pull back from a a full-time job. And uh, as I tell everyone, do some prowling around before I forget where I'm going and why I'm going there. (laughs) But that said, you were brewing
1: this week um, up at Kosciuszko. So just for, for, for listeners you you've been given the brewery at Kosciuszko, the 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 one that you founded uh is, is that correct yeah yeah that was we
0: founded that in 2009 2010 we put a little brewery into the Banjo Patterson hotel and formulated and perfected the Kosciuszko pale ale
1: of course, and, and 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 that was brewed up at the uh, Banjo Patterson Inn at Ginderbine, uh, which is its home, and it, it's, it's been brewed more recently uh, down at the the Malt Shovel Brewery in Camperdown. But uh, am I right in saying that almost as a retirement gift, you were given the brewery at Ginderbine uh, to to continue brewing with and uh, knocking out the original cosy?
0: Yeah, no, just uh, to have an undertaking to also to. You know, continue to, to brew it there because that's the the real birthplace of Kosciuszko Pale Ale. So we continue doing that. And they I think Lion decided probably the easiest thing is to, to let me have the brewery so I can, can maybe experiment some more and do some different types of beers, uh, maybe under a different label even. Ah,
1: so, and, uh, so how does that work? Because clearly uh, since you started the Han brewery back in the 80s in in, in Australia and it was acquired by Lion, you don't own the rights to your own name.
0: Yeah, that's, that's hard, isn't it? That's that's tricky. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I can't come out with another Han Super Dry, that's for sure. And uh, in fact, they're just coming out with a new campaign. I was just looking at that, the new Han Super Dry campaign. But anyway, the... Um, uh, yeah, that's a funny thing. I think when when they bought the brewery uh, in '93, uh, they they actually bought bought my name too, and so I can't call I can't call it uh, a Han Brewing Company or anything like that.
1: You couldn't call it Dr. Chuck's Brewing Company.
0: Well, maybe maybe we could call it uh, Chuck's Brewing Company or something like that. And uh, I keep saying that uh, people will say, "Well, let's go to Chuck's and have a beer and Chuck," you know.
1: <laughs> well <laughs> I, I i don't know we, we might have to workshop that one uh yeah, Chuck, I, think, I, think. I think so <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but i mean that clearly your retirement while well, you say that uh you're you've reached an age where you want to retire clearly you you are still going to keep a hand in in brewing if if, if you've been given that to uh or to, to to play with and keep the integrity of
0: that brand mm-hmm. no i think i think that's um i mean good we we have a I mean, I, I spent like 20 years in Colorado, so I really liked the mountain scenery. And that's one of the reasons we started the brewery up. So I could go up there and and enjoy the mountains, enjoy skiing and uh, going on Lake Gingerbine and, and call it work. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's worked out well. But so, we, I mean, we live in Coochie, so we have sort of our beach house and our mountain house or mountain unit. And so it's a very easy thing to continue to go up there and uh, uh, if I go up there, I might as well do some experimentations in brewing.
1: But I know that you're, you, you know, one of, the, one of the things that fires a lot of passions is the, the the idea of a beer starting in Jindaby and then being moved to one of the uh, brewery-like lines, much larger brew houses. But I, I, I was struck whenever we speak that you are so personally passionate about Kosciuszko and so proud of that beer and... Um, you know, both as a brand, but then also as a as as a beer itself. That, that's something that uh, clearly you're continuing with.
0: Yes, yeah, you know, and, and we've done some variations of that. I mean, we we did one that we brewed using some gin botanicals uh, from the Wild Brumby Distillery, which is up there. And one of the reasons I did that is because some of the mountain pepperberry that's used in that recipe that that Brad has. Um, is actually grown on the slopes of Mount Causeyasco, so it had that mountain connection. So we'll probably continue to try to do things like that with Cosy, but uh, I can do other things too.
1: You know? So, so, so Brad being,
0: Oh, I'm sorry, uh, Brad Spalding, who's started up the uh, the Wild Brumby Distillery.
1: Ah, right, okay, because that wasn't a beer that wasn't nationally available.
0: No, no, that we we did the limited edition. We did, uh we brewed it back at Malt Shovel Brewery. Uh, earlier this year and uh, we, we, no, no, uh, let's see, it was last year and it was really, um, I think we only did about 3,000 cartons of it, but uh, it was very popular. I'm surprised we haven't uh, done it again. No, it was just a delicious IPA, but not really heavy duty on American hops at the end, but, but more noble hops. But then it had the gin botanicals in it that gave it a certain spiciness to it. But given the
1: brands that you've been involved in founding, you know whether whether it was Hahn that you started yourself uh, in in the eighties, or the Malt Travel Brewery uh, that you started under the aegis of, uh, of of Lion, um, and really was you know a pioneer in this in, in the modern craft beer movement as well with beers like Amber Ale. When 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 you talk uh, now, whenever I get to have a beer. Kosciuszko seems to have a very very special place in your heart um even even over those other brands that you've you've been involved in starting
0: yeah no because it, it's I mean it that's just sort of evolved over the years and without doing a lot of other I mean we came out with a hellas lager we've done a number of uh, hefeweizens out of that little brewery but uh, the most popular one that really has seen huge growth uh, as you attest to um, the the, the Kosciuszko pale ale is just a simple, easy-drinking, um, galaxy-hopped, enhanced uh, pale ale. And I think that's what's been so popular about it. It's just simple and straightforward. You know, nothing nothing fancy, no added fruits or lactose or all this other stuff that people are putting in beers now. It's just simple, thirst-quenching and enjoyable.
1: And, and we might come to that, but I, that, that's clearly the reason that it's been popular with consumers. But... I, I guess my point was you seem to have a very personal um, connection to Kosciuszko, a very, very strong, you know, personal, uh, you know, affection for the, for the
0: brand. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's probably because of that uh, that mountain environment that I like so much, you know. The, I mean, having spent so much time in Colorado and, and still doing uh, here in Australia, all the skiing and mountain climbing and everything else that I've done in the area. It's just a certain attraction, and it's um, just really nice. And, but it, 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 it's not that it's one that
1: you've started. Uh, it, like it, It's another one that you've started yourself and managed to, I, I guess, have a much stronger connection to, whereas uh, you know, Malt Shovel as a brand and the James Squire brand that, that you pioneered as well is, is a much bigger brand and has teams involved in it. You're much more hands-on with Kosciuszko.
0: Yeah, that's that's probably true. I mean, we, and it's and its growth has not been by you know big expensive advertising, but it's more you know word of mouth growth, which is really you know organic growth, which is is genuine growth. And uh, I think it's that's the way a lot of our small craft breweries across Australia have got started up, just by people talking about them. You know, saying, "Hey, have you tried this? Have you tried that?" Um, I mean, look how long it's taken for the um, Lord Nelson Brewery Hotel where there are uh, three sheets or two sheets lager. It is a two sheets ale, I guess it is. Uh, but that, that, again, has just grown organically, but n- not to the scale that Cosy Osco has, of course.
1: Yeah, and uh, you touched on some of the modern craft beer trends, uh, uh, which is the best way to describe it. How, how much has brewing changed, or what, what do you think are the biggest changes in the, the modern brewing industry, over over the time since you you know even started uh,
0: Hahn, I think the biggest change, uh, and it's been a very expensive change, is the 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 way hops are used. You know, w- way back when you just added hops during the boil, and it created the bitterness. And if you added them towards the end of the boil, you retained more of the hop aromas, but didn't get the full utilization. Of the of the isohumulones, the bitterness units in in the hops, and brewers used to. I mean, hops used to be one of the most expensive ingredients in beer, and now they're they're way and above the most expensive ingredient in beer because of all the extensive uses in them in, in dry hopping. I guess it, the hops
1: themselves are more expensive because of the brands that have been developed and a proprietary versus the more commodity bittering hops that were used primarily for alpha back in the day but they're also used much more heavily in in, in the
0: brewing industry oh yeah totally so in fact when I, I came back from new zealand in 87 88 and we were formulating the the Han premium um i couldn't use any of the australian hops at that time um, because they were all uh grown for bitterness units that was when um carlton united owned all the hop fields or elders owned all the hop fields and they were just making hops for making hop extract just for bitterness mm. so i ended up with the first Han beer that we made we were using new zealand hops but now the australian hop industry has a, a fantastic research program and they've come up with some uh, just some fantastic hops that like galaxy hops for example or and and some of the the other hops that, that are being used uh, 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 Ella and some of these other really nice Australian hops that have nice aromas to them and that's what's given I think a real um, kick in the backside for the, uh, the craft brewers to be able to use those hops like that but they've had to use them at 10 times the level that we used to use them at when we were just using them for bitterness
1: But at the same time, that's created a lot of excitement amongst beer drinkers at a time that I I, I guess beer as a category globally is fairly moribund or, you know, actually going backwards in in consumptions.
0: Mm -hmm. And, yeah, people are drinking, as you're saying, you know, drinking less, but talking about it more and enjoying it more because there's more to beer than just alcohol and bitterness, you know, all the different aromas, all the different textures that you get in the mouthfeel by the use of different types of ingredients, you know, using using oats, using uh, using lactose, as, as I suggested before, uh, almost making uh, pastry pastry IPAs.
1: And, and that's one of the things that I reflect back on, you know, and I'm, I'm guilty of this myself, uh, you know, 15, 20 years ago when craft beer was promising malt water, hops and yeast and we're going to get back to, you know, true crafted um beer using those four ingredients um unlike the big brewers who want to throw adjuncts and things in (laughs) that's come full circle and small brewers are, you know there there, there is nothing um that is beyond bounds for them to put in a beer these days you know if if it creates an impact or a flavor or just even attention um how how do you reflect on 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 that
0: well it it makes it um, it makes it very challenging to scale up <laughs> to scale up that recipe, you know, and try to brew a, a special beer like some of these beers that we have from the small brewers. Trying to brew it in a larger brewery would be almost impossible, and it would be economically not feasible. <laughs>
1: Which, again, is something that, uh, as I reflect back to, you know, I I can't call myself, I was never a young beer rider, as I've said, but I was a a less experienced beer rider, given (laughs) I came to it as a a mature age um, rider, but as a a more junior um, beer rider, when I was to be fair, filled with um, piss and vinegar about uh, the, the, the purity of craft. Um, yeah, yeah, I remember yeah. you very patiently sat down and pointed out that beer is a unit cost game and it's all about scale and it's about getting your you know, volume as a percentage of fixed costs down. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And it, a, as much as the industry has changed, that seems to be still a universal truth for small breweries um, that, that, that are producing now.
0: Well, I think it's the biggest challenge for the small brewer, particularly as they move into producing a beer for other people. I mean, producing beer to be sold in the bottle shop, to be sold in kegs to other outlets where they're not getting that retail margin back. And that's what's the real challenge is, is how they efficiently and uh, profitably expand. Uh, and some of them are doing it by having, uh, as we talked about before, having these collected uh, collective groups type thing or, you know, groups getting together. Um, but that, but that, that's a, maybe a whole other thing to talk about.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, and do, I mean, one of the other things we've spoken about over the years is when you talk about harm, you had a brewery that had launched and was successful and was growing and was profitable. But then we had the uh, you know famous recession that we had to have, and interest rates going to seventeen percent, and the bank forcing the sale. Is as you look at the you know inflation and interest rates rising now, do you have a, a, a sense of deja vu or any concern for the smaller brewers out there now?
0: Oh, de- definitely on that Matt. but of course. It's several orders of magnitude as far as interest rates. I mean, we, as we were saying, you know, it was 16, 70 percent interest, and now it's now we're we're cringing at four or five percent. Um, so we got a ways to go, I think. But also, the government has been supporting small business finally, you know, and that's really helped the the brewers along and the small distillers too. Some of the, the rebates they're able to get on on excise has been uh, just a real uh, I don't want to say goldmine for them because it's not making millionaires out of them or anything like that, but it's allowing them to to compete, which which I think is great.
1: Do you look at the growth of craft beer and ever wish that things had been a little bit different and you'd uh, been able to continue along as Han as an independent? Or you know, are, are you quite happy with the way things transpired?
0: Well, i think, I mean, you know, you never. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm 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 happy. I've always been treated well by by the larger companies, but, um, no, you know, sure. There's a certain, I was probably, you know, 10 years before the time on that, uh, <laughs> starting up my, my own, with four other partners, my, our own brewery in, uh, 87, 88. If we had done that in, you know, 98, 99, we probably would have been, uh, we still have that brand under, our, uh, under our thumbs right now. You, you, you
1: say that and that was around the time that you did start uh the malt Shovel brewery um under the again the auspices of of, of lion which yeah, yeah. you know ha, has one of the biggest if not the biggest craft beer i'm, I'm imagining that is, is it chance the biggest of the no no the, no
0: 150 lashes one, sorry 50 lashes 150 <laughs> lashes of course 150 lashes paleo and then Chancellor was uh, sort of the other big one and then uh, uh, yeah, we've we've had you know the amber ale got to a couple of million liters uh, in its heyday, if you will, and uh, and the porter got up to just under a million liters. But um, you know, a lot of a lot of small brewers would just love to have a million liters volume <laughs> annual. Volume. <laughs> but we had multiple things of like that. I mean, and the the amber ale got you know as well over twenty million liters. Uh, not amber ale, um, uh, one fifty lashes pale ale. Mm.
1: And, 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 and I guess that's the uh, the thing I was thinking because unfortunately the you know the, the, the Pilsner, the amber ale, um, the Hefeweizen, you know the, the the beers that were launched, even though they had what would be significant scale for a craft brewery, have been discontinued because in the big brewing world they were a little bit too small. But at the same time as an in, did they only ever get to that scale because they had the you know distribution muscle um, of, of a uh, major brewer? you know would those beers have reached the scale they did if they didn't have the um, the, the contacts and the distribution of, of lime?
0: Well, well I think that helped on that and also being able to brew them at the larger breweries so that we didn't run out of capacity that that was you, you helped use up some of the excess capacity we had at the larger breweries, and that was a real benefit to Lion, of course, to be able to utilize that. And of course, having a national distribution network is is everyone's dream, <laughs> and well, that certainly helped out uh, and helped really drive that brand. But I think what what grew it was the people talking to each other about the different. In fact, many we had to start the James Squire brew houses up in order to have uh, people can go in and and uh have a cellar door of our beers where that's now done at each of the local pub breweries you know around but we had to develop that in the around 2000 2003 four five six having james square brew houses where you would know, have all these different beers on tap mm. and, and uh, to allow them to taste the full range and that, that's how it grew with people were able to go to a, a central location and and try them all and try the limited releases and that's what drove the business for so long, and that's what drives the businesses now. I think, uh, with these small brewers, and they they all had some mainstream, easy drinking lagers or ales, but then they have these these far out things that are unique uh, to to their brewery, which, you know, I, I did all these funny stuff with lots of fruit and everything else in it.
1: But as you said, they 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 won't get to scale with those. But then a no. lot of them are returning to. Brands yep. that have a much broader appeal that, you know, once upon a time, some of them would have been referred to as, uh, you know, <laughs> fizzy, you know, pale yellow lager. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. Exactly. And and, and and still some of their main selling brands are still very much mainstream-like. You know, they're easy drinking. They're not excessive alcohol levels. Um, they're uh, probably, in some cases, slightly lower carbs. In fact, there's there's some... Breweries out there advertising no carbs which which is is almost impossible to do <laughs> <laughs> particularly without enzymes which uh... yeah I mean using en- enzymes you still have you know some residual carbohydrates the, the slightly larger ones but you never get rid of all those because those are what give you that mouthfeel in the beer um, but anyway that's uh, that's for them to fight
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um- one of the things I know, you know, it was recently um, a huge disappointment to you was the Craft Beer Industry Association's um, decision to, you know, rework its structure and move towards independence, which of course you were a, a founding board member um, of, of the association and
0: uh, that, that had a,
1: a very deep personal Im- impact on you, didn't it?
0: Yes, no, it was it was very much a disappointment, you know, having put so much time into it and then uh, and and help fund it too, because you know, your your membership fees were based on volume and we had the largest volume, so we were paying the largest amount. But um, you know, I, I've just had to, to, to live past that and uh, and I have, uh, but it was a real disappointment at the time that we were just thrown out like that.
1: Do you think in hindsight that they made the right decision?
0: Well, I don't know on that, really. Um, maybe longer term, maybe they should have had that from the from the start, you know, but they wouldn't be able to have got going as they did uh, if they didn't, uh, you know, have our support. And also we, we were members, uh, it was with um, Malt Shovel and Little Creatures together, uh, we, we were members of mm. that.
1: Yeah. But, uh, do, and, and do you think that, you know, especially after line uh, acquired stone and wood that the 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 whole case for independence still matters or you know is it still as relevant as it was when you had a brewery like um, stone and wood involved
0: um probably not you know when you think about it that way you know that, because it certainly was a you know a large a large independent brewery at the time was that, that volumes like that um, but it, it's i guess it's it's kind of a fine line, you know. How how independent are you? You know, when your major owner is a bank.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, that that's very true. Although, I, I I guess I mean that's true of anything. Uh, you know, if if your own house is on the line, it focuses your thinking. But um, you know, when a bank own, own, owns you and can take you back, I guess you're very much focused on your business as well.
0: Yes, exactly. Yeah, you know, it, it's it, it's hard to say. You know. I'm, when you talk about independence, <laughs> you know, I mean, I think a lot of these small breweries are are independent. You know, they, uh, uh, some of the, the smaller ones have started up just by, uh, uh, selling their house and getting some capital that way, um, but you know, they really put put their hearts on the line to to start up a, a genuine independent brewery, and then as they expand, then they need additional funds, and that's where I think it's been. Real popular now that I think the the buzzword is crowdfunding now, you know, and uh, what be interesting to see how that goes forward.
1: It's it certainly will, and I'm biting my lip on that uh, for for, (laughs) for, for very good. It it is my turn to uh, I've had been a bit outspoken on the uh, equity crowdfunding, Um, but do you think that we will see brands grow to the scale that you know some of the. Earlier uh, independent breweries that got to a scale and were acquired by the big breweries will get. Do you, do you think there is still that growth trajectory
0: uh, for the independent
1: breweries? Yeah for, for small independents
0: I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean they, they really need to have that that national distribution. they need to tie things together uh, pretty tightly uh, and and have a large efficient production center and and most of them don't and so they can, they can cover a certain area. And then they also this this concept of, of shelf life too, because you know even even craft beer uh, gets oxidized, uh, gets old, uh, doesn't taste as fresh as when you consumed it at the brewery itself, and that's going to be that's always a detriment to national distribution. Is how do you can control the beer quality to the to the customer? That's a real challenge, I think. On that, and, uh, you know, that, that's what the, a lot of these small breweries are going to see as a as they grow bigger and and they find that their beer is is not uh, fresh to the uh, consumer's mouth every time, and uh, that's where it, you know it, uh, it it it's a real challenge. I think
1: one of, one of the things that you know, I, as somebody who's done a lot of beer and food tastings, and you know, a great passion was converting people to the category and building excitement. And, you know, I've, I've always admired yourself and, uh, you know, even Bill Taylor, um, who was the head brewer for Lion, you know, were very, very passionate about bringing people to the category and showing them the breadth of the experience you can have with beer. Yeah. That was one of the things that I, that I thought very early in the craft beer movement was going to be a very broad-scale trend.
0: And yet... You're right, you don't have... A lot of these small craft brewers uh, uh, hosting beer dinners, you know, and, and we've even uh, had some, you know, beer and whiskey dinners, which are quite interesting. <laughs> but um, no, you don't see that very much at all. Do you? Do you think that's
1: you know a, a loss to the industry? Because I, I know that Lion had a, you know, their um, beer, the beautiful truth, that was oh yeah, that's right, yeah, uh, uh, originally geared around, you know building category but because Lion did it alone at least is my observation it became very much a brand opportunity for the brands over the uh, you know actually communicating about beer um, and and, and educating people about beer.
0: Right right Um, yeah I was involved initially with that and then uh, at the end I was just too busy doing other things you know and um, we sort of let, I guess, let the marketing department run that with a little bit of assistance from some of the brewers. And then, of course, as large corporations, they quickly they, lose interest in such unique things as that. But uh, anyway, it's hard to say on that one, Bill, on, that, on that, Matt, you know, and I think, you know, Bill Taylor really did a lot of work on that.
1: Very much, and, uh, you know, I, 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 one of the, the expressions I've started saying a lot is, you know, it's an industry that says a lot about, you know, the rising tide lifts all boats, and yet everybody's out there building boats and not looking about how to bring the tide in.
0: Yep, yep, right, right. Uh, that's a good analogy, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <Thank God. laughs> that's a really good analogy, yeah. Definitely. I, I hadn't thought about that way, yeah.
1: But but again, it, and it, it is something that yeah for all of the criticisms that are often levelled at the big brewers that you know people like yourself and Bill were very passionate about beer and you know bringing people to the fold,
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm, exactly. And we we don't see that now. We really don't see any large um, efforts in that area. Uh, even even some of the larger craft brewers, you're not you're not seeing that. Um, they're all interested in just you know growing, growing their own uh, their own brand, not growing the, the the, the way beer is considered a, as a, a as an accompaniment with food, for example. Mm, but
1: I always had the feeling that whilst you were supported by Lion, you and Bill, that it was your own passion uh, for it rather than an institutional you know campaign uh, around those things.
0: Yeah no it, yeah it's, it's definitely was our was our passion there yeah that's good uh, yeah I totally agree with that
1: <laughs> but then, then again again and I'm, I'm not having a go at line there because uh, you know again whether it was joining CBIA or you know those initiatives they were all line initiatives um, whereas uh, CUB's craft arms probably didn't you know in, in, in invest in anything along those lines at all.
0: No, not, not at so, all. So yeah, I mean, so I
1: certainly wasn't having a go at uh, line in in saying that. Now, now one, one of the other things when we spoke last week that was uh, fascinating was uh, apart from being gifted uh, um the 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 five hundred liter um, brewery up at uh hundred. Six
0: hundred.
1: Yeah, you you've also been given the brew house that came from Napstein.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was the old uh, the Napstein Brewery that we had for a number of years in Clare Valley, and that was one that was stored at the West End Brewery, and then when that site was sold last year, then eventually they had to move it on. So I said I raised my hand and I said I'll take it. I'm not sure what I'm going to do with it yet, but <laughs> it's uh, it's sitting in a friend's warehouse right now.
1: <laughs> but you're tinkering with it. You're getting it ready to to to, to brew. Would you? Uh... Maybe entertain some, uh, you know, interest from people who are looking at starting a brewery to work with them, uh, using that brew house. Not
0: immediately, no. I'm, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just trying to enjoy retirement a little bit.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you you've got a brew house uh, TBA.
0: Uh, yeah, in waiting.
1: In waiting. <laughs> in waiting. So, <laughs> what what do you plan to do? Obviously, you're still tinkering around and uh, putting some beer out through the Banjo Patterson. What? Uh, you, you you love hiking. You swim. Uh, yeah,
0: a lot of swimming and trying to. Uh, I've just had some problems with numbness in my feet. Just trying to get over that eventually. Uh, just just old age things, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Man, <laughs> trying to keep my memory, memory reasonably sharp, you know.
1: <laughs> what what plans have you got? How will you uh, occupy your time when you're not uh, involved in the brewing industry on a day to day basis?
0: I'll probably be do, probably doing some more ocean swimming things like that get get some fishing in and uh, like genderbine um, few things like that nice oh
1: it, it sounds like you've got it all sorted chuck but uh you know on, on behalf of everybody that listens to this podcast I know that you are highly respected across the industry and uh thanks for Thank uh, having you. the chat no I, I genuinely hope it's not the last time that we uh we, we get you on the podcast
0: yeah no it was good good chatting with you and we'll um, have to talk more about how we can uh, have some more beers together, uh, possibly up in the Brisbane area, around your 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 uh, hunting grounds, if you will.
1: Most definitely, maybe we can even reprise that original Hahn recipe that we uh we we successfully brought back about two years ago. Yeah, I imagine
0: people are still talking about that. that,
1: was, <laughs> and that I, I know great... it was very highly re- highly received.
0: Yeah, that's for sure. Thanks, Chuck. Okay, good good talking to you again, Matt. And that was Chuck Hahn.
1: I'm sure you will join me in wishing him every success in retirement. As I record this, I received an email from him yesterday noting that he was off skiing in Colorado in February for a couple of weeks, and saying he hoped to catch up with David Coors and his son Peter when he was back there. He said he's taking some samples of Cooper's brewed Coors Light to taste at the brewery against a genuine Coors Light, and he said that he reckons that Cooper's are doing a pretty good job. He'll never leave beer, it seems. I should also hat tip James Atkinson's excellent documentary podcast on Chuck's career, recorded to celebrate his 50 years in brewing. If you haven't already, seek it out on James's Drinks Adventures podcast channel. There's a link in the show notes. If you like what we do here at Radio Brews News, you can help spread the word. If you're a business that wants to reach brewers, you can advertise on the show and make sure that we have the resources to keep doing this podcast, whilst also promoting your brand to the brewing industry. If you're a listener, you can review us on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcasting service. I know we say that every week, but please do that. It really does help keep us at the top of Apple's charts and help other people to find us, which is also very important to keeping the podcast going. You can also join the conversation by joining the Facebook group or emailing us at producer at bruisenews.com.au. We'll be back this Friday with Bruise News Week diving deeply into the news of the week. Also, keep a look out in our socials. We will be doing the official Dab's Hottest 100 Countdown podcast this year and look out for details of that in our socials.